evening. God, that's it. Good evening, everybody. Good to see everybody. You look good. You look young. You look fresh. That's awesome. There's too many old people in the morning service. Um, so I like this type of vibe. So it's so good to be here. Um, before we, I'm going to intro, introduce the awkward video, um, I'm just going to share something brief about where we are at. Uh, like uh, Marina said, we're in Croatia, Zagreb. And yes, it is a very beautiful nation. Whom of you have been in Croatia? Thank you. Thank you. Somebody had sense to travel in the right direction. Okay, well done to you. So it's a very beautiful nation. It's incredible, the food, the people, everything. Until you move into the neighborhood, then you realize, okay, this is where it gets real. Okay, I've never been in a meeting where they speak English. And if I speak, if I go to the store, it's like, Govoritele Engleski? Ne. Like, that's a very very polite way of saying, no, they don't speak English. Okay, then I try the broken Croatian and everything. But in the meantime, we've picked up. Um, I think if we can sum up what we're doing, it would be some, uh, Proverbs 20 verse 44. It says, the sluggard plows nothing in autumn, but when the harvest comes, he has nothing. So when we heard that word, we realized that we cannot go in and sow and go in for a harvest without plowing. Now, if you look at, uh, at Europe as a whole, I would, pre I would present it as a field with lots of trees that have been cut off and only the tree stumps remain and it's rooted deeply into the ground and then in between it, grass has grown over it and then you have rocks and then you have stubbles and everything. So if you want to harvest or if you want to sow, you have to plow. But before you plow, you have to first remove the easy rocks and then you're going to have to remove those massive tree stumps before you can get fertile soil. That's Europe. What a privilege to suffer like that. <laughs> it's hard ground, but it's not. This has been the most difficult thing that I have ever taken on, but it's been the most gracious thing that we've ventured on. This is not an adventure. This is a quest. And a quest is when God calls you. So, and I want to say just as a caution, Marina said earlier, if you know God is calling you to the nations, that is no easy call. But man, Lord is faithful. He will lead you. So I just want to say I'm so proud of my family, my wife, my children, and also my team. Whom of you guys know Robbie Steenkamp? Okay. So can you please, those of you who know Robbie, just quickly pop him a message. But not just, hey. You can, like somebody, everybody say, says, hey, on Facebook, happy birthday. Don't just say happy birthday. Now I'm into mentoring now, okay? Just say, happy birthday. I wish you a great year. You are an amazing person. So please send Robbie a message and just tell him, Robbie, you're amazing, or whatever you want to say. Would you do that quickly? You can do that right now. Yes. Okay. So, Robbie is doing great. Him and I are learning the language together in class. We just finished our B22. It's been the worst language semester yet, but man, we're making progress. And then we have a crazy American German. I hope Christina's not watching tonight. Um, she's also part of our team. Um, we don't always know because on the one side, she's a physicist. And on the other side, she has a, a doctorate in apologetics. 
So we don't always know which direction she's going, but she's always asking three questions. Okay, so great to have her on the team. And then we have Devin and Corinne from George. They are working for an accounting firm. Massive blessing to us. And together we are plowing. We are building relationships. We are working hard to learn the language. And we're working hard to uh, learn about the culture because it's very key to what we want to do. Because we don't want to reach only people. Although all people matter, we want to reach Croats, and we need to become like them. So that's in short, um, we're excited and expectant for what the Lord is doing, and we're also excited about the next season ahead of us. So tonight I have the, the awkward privilege of preaching on a very uh, controversial topic, and that is drawing the line with sin. Um, it's not to use sin to draw the line, but to draw the line on sin. Okay, are you guys with me? We're going to watch a short video um, it's PG-18, so enjoy. Okay, so on that light note, can everybody just quickly stand up and turn to someone next to you and say, what just happened? So we're going to preach tonight on Messy Church, the second sermon, and this is Drawing the Line with Sin. And um, I'm going to read the chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? So you can read with me. It will be on the board. I hope you guys have it. Do you have it? 
Okay, so Paul is getting ready to hammer these guys. Okay, so it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. This is his stepmother. And you are arrogant. Out ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I am already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day during the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. If not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. What an encouraging word. What a privilege to preach on this. What a privilege that I'm the guest speaker and going back home. Okay, so then you guys can deal with it. So this is a messy church. And Paul is about to address something that's very serious. Now, this is the first letter to, to, not Croatian, to the Corinthian church, but it's actually not the first. This is the second letter. We do not know or could not find the first letter, but we can read in this letter that he's referring to a conversation because he wrote to them about this dude that is having sexual relations with his stepmother while his father is still married to her. But then they didn't really get the message, and they sent him a message back, and then he replied this time, but this time he rolled up his sleeves, and it's like, I'm going to let them have some. <laughs> he's serious about dealing with sin, and he's having a really serious conversation, and he's saying that, listen, do not even eat with a brother or a sister like this if you have someone in your midst. Now, let's be honest. We all will be eating alone. He who has no sin, pick up the stone and cast the first stone. So he's addressing something, but we have to understand why Paul is so serious about addressing this issue. Why is he so serious? So let's get a very quick background on Corinth. Can you put up the slide? Can you see in the middle there's Mediterranean Sea and then above? Above there's Greece, Athens, green part. Say, uh-huh. This part, you didn't see it. Is there a delay in the video? Uh-huh. 
Thank you. Thank you. Introverts, thank you. Just nod. There are a lot of introverts. Okay. So, in between, you see where Athens is and Greece, there's this passage. It's all part of Greece, but just south of Athens was Corinth. Now, they could travel through that area. It was a major port, and people from the east, the west, the north, the south came through that area with the best products, and they parked there, and they started selling their stuff. And then from there, they had this incredible highways coming in and out of, uh, of Corinth so that they can spread these great produce and products and everything. So there was a massive economy. It was huge. It shortened the traveling ways so people could travel in and out. So that's, that was a place that you wanted to be. But what also happened is there was another economy that took place because people came, all the sailors that was at sea, were at sea for months came into the harbors, harbors and into Corinth and they had needs. They had needs for food, they had needs for new produce, and they also had need for relief. Sorry. It's the prayer team. <laughs> so, they also had sexual needs. So, there was an economy of sex. There was an economy of prostitution. So, people would come from different parts to come to the city and to enjoy what was available. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like Gauteng sometimes, where people will come from different parts to come and enjoy the privileges Okay, so we can relate with the situation, but then what else what we can see is they had a culture with some post-modernistic elements. Now, post-modernism only came later, but there's also a truth and a lie that people were living with. Now, I'll unpack the word post-modernism now because I had to find it out for myself. Okay, so what happened is Corinth not only drew products, but because there was an uproar, it also drew the best philosophers and speakers of that time. So people would come there. Why? Because there was a massive group of people. So they had an audience. And what happened during this time is people came and they followed those who gave the best arguments. Not necessarily those who spoke the truth. Who is he who gives the greatest argument? And that's why they came and Paul had to address this thing. Who is this thing of I am for Cephas, I am for Apollos, I am for Paul? He had to address it. Why? Because they made them celebrities. And they followed their teaching, but not only them, but also the Greek philosophers. Now, why, what does have, that have to do with church? How many people have their favorite, favorite YouTube or television preacher, but they hardly ever read a chapter in the Bible? How many people follow YouTube links and, and stories and everything, which is amazing, learn from it? Not all of it, okay? Learn from some of it. But we don't know what's the truth behind it. So in this, there came a place where people became all the more pluralistic. Okay, I'll unpack pluralism as well. If I take, for example, this piano. What? Why are you laughing? This piano. It's, who said it's a guitar? You are judging me. Saying that this is a guitar, this is a piano. Do you agree with me? This is a piano. Oh, come on, guys. If you really love me, you will support me in the fact that this is a piano for me. I really, really, really believe in my heart, and I'm so sincere. I have no ill motives that I really want to believe that this is a piano. 
How can you judge me for saying this is not a piano? Who are you to judge me? So what happens is in their environment, they became pluralistic because they wanted to force their thoughts of what their view of right and wrong was. Does it sound familiar? People struggle with truth many times, and then what they want to do is they want to impose their view on certain things. What has happened is we have lost truth. So they were also struggling with this thing. But the amazing thing is when you're in a pluralistic society, it means that you think that there are more than one way of reality or truth. So it's like one of my tenants that moved into our apartment and he was a Buddhist in philosophy, but a Christian by religion. I still struggle to understand it. After a few conversations, I realized he also struggled to understand it. Okay, so, but here's the thing. There is the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot be right and wrong at the same time. But how do people still go on and they try to force themselves because they say, I really believe this is right. So this is the culture that they had to deal with. But then what also happened because of this, these postmodernistic elements, what happened, the spin-off from this is that they became very pragmatic. So what that means is they said, if it works, it should be right. If it works, it should be right. So I know I've heard that receiving an envelope underneath the table, okay, is potstola, they would say in Croatia, or solarni plachi. It's mean to pay in the sun, hand to hand. Okay, so there's different ways of paying something corruptly, but God blesses you and he doesn't convict you of it. It's working. So your motive is right. So maybe this is right. Pragmatic. Yes, I know you have some marriage troubles. So now your marriage is not working because your wife and you, you can't get along anymore. So it's not working. So maybe it's not right. It's time for a new one. So what happened is they started living by what was pragmatic. Doesn't make sense? Do we face the same thing in our world today? Not in this church. Mm -mm. Okay. So, here's the thing. This was fun times to be a church, right? <laughs> you have to search far and wide to find a church that had more problems, like the church of Corinth. If you read the book, you will see several elements of sin being elevated and spoken of in the different letters. But Paul had more grace for the church of Corinth than he had for the church of Galatians. In Galatians, he wrote to the church, they only had religious sins. So, only. So you write to them, it's like, this is Paul, an apostle of the Lord. You foolish Galatians! He couldn't wait to give them a beating. But when it comes to the church of Corinth, like, hey guys, we love you so much, so proud of you, so exciting to see what's happening in your lives, and yeah, let's talk about the sexual sin. Let's talk about purity. Let's talk about holiness. Or let's talk about uni unity. So, it's a church that had a lot of troubles. But yet, Paul said that this is a church, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, he says, in which all the spiritual gifts could be seen. So if you could see all the spiritual gifts, it means that the spirit was not grieved and he was working. And because he was working, he was edifying. 
And if God can come through His Spirit and edify a church like that, He edifies us. So, He has to deal with this sexual sin issue. Everybody knew about it. Nobody said anything. So in verse 6 to 8, he says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So it sounds like an odd example for him to use, but they were very um, familiar with this because the first time this was mentioned was in Passover when the Israelites were about to be released and go into the Exodus and go out of, of Egypt into victory, the Lord spoke to them and he said through Moses that you're going to have to prepare yourself because the Passover is coming. Pass over, to pass you over. That was about to happen. But before they went into it, for seven days, they had to go through this ritual of unleavened bread. So they had to remove all leaven. Uh, what's leaven in Afrikaans? Yeast. Uh, Stasel. Eh? What? Ghis. Oh, ghis. Okay. So... They had to remove all the leaven from the houses. And here's what, they, what, what the command was. If they found anybody that ate of the leavened bread or any leaven or dealt with leaven in the seven days, they ought to be cut off from Israel. I think he's serious about this. <laughs> it's leaven for crying out loud. Okay, so why would he be, do that? Why? Because we all know that if you put leaven in a lump of dough, it will infiltrate, it will ferment, it will influence the dough, it will never be the same. So he said, remove all leaven. Why? Because part of the situation was to remind them that the leaven was a representation of sin. Remove sin from your house. Purify your house. Why? Because the Passover is coming. And when the Passover comes, it means that they had to prepare a lamb, for a family and sometimes with neighbors, and they had to prepare the lamb by cooking the lamb, taking the blood, and painting the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And then after the angel passed by and he passed them over, they were spared of their lives. Their lives were not taken. And afterwards, what did they do? They ate the lamb. Now, thank God that they could eat the lamb. Okay, so... Imagine we had to do that ritual and then just look at the lamb and then cast it away. So they ate of it. Not only were they passed over, but they found nourishment in it. But now, there's something different. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. So in other words, they knew, deal with the sin that's in your midst. Deal with this person that is really committing a very uh, dark sexual sin. But then he goes further and he says, for as you really are unleavened. This is different. The Old Testament said, prepare yourselves with a feast of unleavened bread because the Passover is coming. He's saying to the church, perch and get rid of the leaven because you are already unleavened in the past people had to work and find their way to God but now because of Christ we have been leavened and unleavened and because of the work that he has done 
we can come boldly and we can remove the sin in our midst. You see, what Christ did on the cross is he broke the penalty of sin and now he's walking through his spirit and through the continuous victory of the cross to remove the power of sin in our lives. So what happened on Passover is a place where I need to find my notes. It was the result of a new era. When the Passover started, Jesus or God through Moses said that this is a new day, that when you're going to start doing this new ritual of the unleavened bread going into the festival of Passover, this is a new day. This will be the new beginning of your year. So that was the start of the year going forward. Now, the funny thing is, if you open your Bible today, some of the uh, nearly inspired versions will give you a reference to dates, but it's not the first date anymore. You know why? Their calendar changed because after they went into exile because of their disobedience and sinful lives, they lost their calendar. That's the effect of sin. But there was a new date. What does it mean? When Christ comes in and he paid the price and you accepted him, he made you new. He said that everybody who is in Christ, he is a new creation, the, the new crea creation, the old is gone, the new has come. So you're a new person. Okay, but then the second thing is he was also the substitute because you were supposed to be punished, but he took the punishment upon himself. But he did not only become the substitute. What he also did, he did punish sin. You see, if God did not punish sin, he would be a lousy God. He had to deal with it because he's righteous and holy. So he dealt with it, but with it, he dealt with it by becoming sin himself, but then he brought salvation to us. But part of this process is now there's a new festival to celebrate. That's why we have communion. That's why we have baptism to remind ourselves of what we're part of. So this is a new era and Paul is coming, he's saying, listen, guys. In, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. But now it gets interesting. He says, because you are already unleavened. Act. Because you are already unleavened, speak the truth. Now, this is where it gets interesting. He's telling us to judge. Everybody say, judge. Don't judge me. Okay? He says, is not those inside the church whom you are, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, this is very important. He is saying very clearly, please do not judge those outside the church. You cannot expect a dog to meow. Now, I know that stupid joke, don't go there, okay? <laughs> okay, I know you can get a dog to meow, don't go there, all right? Stop, Yaku. <laughs> you cannot change the nature of a dog. Now, not I'm saying that sinners are dogs. Sometimes we expect people that are lost to live like Christians. It's impossible. You need 
you become born again and you need to receive the Spirit and through the grace of God, you can live a different life. So we do not judge those on the outside. But he's coming and he's saying, judge people in the church. That's exciting. Judge. Quickly, judge someone. Now I know a lot of you are thinking, oh man, a lot of, a lot of what do you call it, um, uh, Counseling is going to take place in the next month because that pastor said they should judge. Okay, let me clarify. I spoke to a lady at, um, at a store. She had a tattoo on her arm that said, only God can judge me. And I said, listen, this is such a bad moment for me because I really wanted to give you a compliment today, but I can't. He's like, why? I said, because you say I can't give you a compliment. He said, but How? I said, because you have a tattoo on your arm that says, only God can judge me. I said, what does that have to do with it? I said, well, if I look at your life, you have such a beautiful spirit. You, are, you gave me such great service here. You were friendly and everything. But by doing that, by giving you a compliment, I'm judging your character. I'm judging the way you lived. So now I'm judging you. I can't give you a compliment. I'm so sorry. You see, judging is necessary in the church. We have to judge. If you take the chicken breast that you want to prepare for dinner, you cut it open. If it speaks back to you, you just judged it. You judged if it was ready to be used or not. It's amazing to judge. I can't wait to judge. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. If Jakub borrows my car and he drives into a pole, and I come and I say, yeah, yeah, twice, okay? And I would say, Yaku, that was bad driving. And I told you to, to be aware of where you were going. I told you that there was a pole. You didn't listen. Were you on the phone? I might have been on the phone. Okay. Yaku, that was, that was not responsible. I judged him. And I judged rightly. Because I judged on facts. And I judged on the scenario. But when I go and I say, and because of that, you are such a lousy friend. You are not worthy to be trusted. Now I'm judging in a place that is not godly. Never would say, you are irresponsible and you only think of yourself. Now I'm judging motives. And now I'm sinning. You see, what happened in the church is we do not want to judge so what happens? Somebody is struggling with sin or something. Who am I to tell him that he or she should stop doing that? And what do we do? We become the measurement. Yeah, stop it, Marinus. Okay, so we become the measurement. Why? Because we cut ourselves some slack because they're struggling. So I struggled with this sometimes when it came to leadership and I asked somebody to do something and I think, oh man, but they're busy in their family and, and, and then I come to a point where I realize, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, what is the standard of truth? Let's call people to the standard of truth. So what I'm asking of you as a church leader, I have to obey myself. It's not how many meetings that you do, but are you being faithful what God has given you? So I call you to a standard that I myself have to live. So now we live a different standard. But here's the difference between judging. Instead of coming and saying, Yaku, you better get your life right. You see, that's what the church did. And they still do it today. We use people and their 
unpardonable sins as a situation to put something on them, to expect them to live a certain standard. It's like a scapegoat. We will put the punishment on this thing. So what we did is we put it on a certain group of people. Years back, it was divorce. Don't use the D word. In our context in Croatia, we talk about disappointment. But in this case, in the past, it was divorce. I don't care how unhappy you are. You don't divorce. That's the unpardonable sin. Who are you to divorce? Oh, they divorced. Until it became so used, uh, part of culture, we moved on to the next one. Don't have illegit illegitimate children. You can funnel in the dark, but oh man, if there's fruit... And we judged people. And then we moved on, and the latest scapegoat that we're facing is homosexuality. Now, here's the thing. There is a place where we tell people, you better change because this is not right because we are the standard of truth. What have we done? We've left people abandoned and broken and unable to change themselves. Instead of coming alongside them and say. Let's walk this out together. There's a, a German Croat that's, um, that was in the language class with us. And we started working with him, building relationship, learning the language. He was just tweaking his, his language. Um, we were struggling with the language and help, hoping he will help us. In any case, long story short, he started asking questions. After months of friendship and connecting with him, being open about God, but not forcing it in his face, he started asking more questions. So what happened is, the one Sunday he heard um, Margaret's testimony, and after that, he, uh, he asked Christina, the theologian, a lot of questions, and she answered his questions. He said, I want to go to church with you guys. So the next Sunday, they went, I was in Poland for training, and he went to church with him. They went to the Baptist church, and he cried his eyes out. He gave his heart to the Lord in that service. It was an incredible opportunity. Robbie started discipling him, laying foundations, using the purple book. My it's like broken Croatian, English, German in between, everything, because Yannick preferred to pray in German. But then Yannick came to the point where he struggled with a massive issue with sexuality. It's like, but this is who I used to be my entire life. And now I read this in the passage, and it says this is wrong. So that means I am wrong. And Christina just sat there and said, no, you just stop half. Just continue to read. Just continue to press in. Let's keep asking questions. And as he started asking questions at a certain stage, he hit a wall and he said, I need some time out. And he stood up and he walked. And then after about 10, 15 minutes, he came back and he said, God saved me. He made me a new person. He's aware of this struggle and he will walk me through this. His standard of the word is higher than my challenges. God did not come to bring divorced people back into marriage. God did not come to restore homosexuals. God did not come to make addicted people clean. He came to save sinners. And we're all sinners, saved by grace. Now, I want to end with something. Um, 
I want to read you something quickly. This is a quote by R.A. Torrey. He was using examples saying, you know, referring to his mom, uh, that was, he, he knew he was sinning and he was doing the wrong thing. And he speaks about the fact that sometimes we know about the nagging of the mom behind us. Like if she would find out what you were doing, she would either kill you or your life would kill her, you know, because of what you're doing. So he's talking from that background. And then he picks it up and he says, there is one who is holier than any mother. One who is more sensitive against sin than the purest woman who ever walked this earth and who loves us as even no mother ever loved. This one dwells in our hearts if we really are Christians and he sees every act we do by day or under cover of the night. He hears every word we utter in public or in private. He sees every thought we entertain. He beholds every fancy and imagination that is permitted even a momentary lodging in our mind. And if there is anything unholy, impure, selfish, mean, petty, unkind, harsh, unjust, or any evil act or word or thought or fancy, he is grieved by it. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But there's something that bothers me about this. And I was wrestling through this thing. And here's the thing especially for us as South Africans. There is a place where we deal with sin not in the right way. We do not speak the truth in love to one another. and We do not deal with the sin in our hearts in a certain way because of the way we view God. We deal with sin in a way that is reluctant many times because we do not understand who God is. Let me explain. Sometimes we see God as a glorified traffic cop. He's a ruler. So as long as you drive the right way, you will never meet the traffic cop. But the moment you drive wrong, you're going to meet the traffic cop. And then perhaps he will be such a nice traffic cop that he will let you go. He will pardon you of what you've done. So that's the amazing thing that we've seen about this God that we follow is because we are living right and He's happy with us until we live wrong and then He shows us greatness. So what's the thing? In this whole journey, when we see God as this ruler God and we just have to obey and do the right thing, He's going to be happy with us us with Him. The, The closest and most intimate that you will ever have for a traffic cop that releases you is gratitude. Nobody loves a traffic cop unless it's your dad. We fear traffic cops. But he is not a traffic cop. He is not the one waiting for you. The Bible tells us something about the character of God. He says many times they refer to to God as a fountain. Like a fountain. It refers to his character. And then many times they speak of God as a father. You see, Jesus himself comes and he says, Father, Before the creation of the world, you have loved me. For eternity, you have loved me. And now because of your love that you've given me, I can pour it out. And may they receive the love that you have had for me. 
for eternity he has been loving why is that important it's because he is like a fountain a fountain is only a fountain as long as a fountain can fountain if a fountain stops fountaining it's like stops flowing out it's no longer a fountain it's going to be a pond so the very essence of a fountain is that it's flowing the bible keeps on talking about god as a fountain why because he cannot not father but he's a holy father he's not hey don't worry i'll cover you no he will deal harshly with your sin but lovingly he will love you through the process so when you understand that he's going to deal rightly with you like a father a real pure holy father you will have a confidence to go to him he's not a traffic cop let's pray father We cannot settle for only gratitude in our hearts towards you. We cannot settle only for thankfulness because you've pardoned our sins. Lord, we want to, just like Paul wrote, he says, through the Spirit, the love of God has been poured into your hearts. Lord, I pray that we will fathom and enjoy and be bathed in your love your holy love lord forgive us where we look to you in a way that you're a traffic cop but we look at ourselves as a way of just having to obey otherwise you're not going to be happy with us that's not who you are open our eyes and our hearts lord because we do not want to sin we want to live holy like you are holy. If you need to make right with him, just take this moment. Ask him forgiveness if you looked at him like a traffic cop. And ask him to open your heart to taste and see his holy love. So let's just stay in this moment in a position of receiving from him. I wrote a few things down while Hansi was speaking. First thing I wrote down was that he loves us so much. And then in reference with the guitar and the piano that he made, I wrote, God will not allow us in his truth to justify or lie about our sin or misconception of our identity our identity is not ours it is his he loves us more to just stay quiet so that we won't lose us when he speaks truth into us no he's gonna reveal sin so that his identity can become more in us. Does that make sense?
It's almost like a frame that's been painted over multiple times, different colors, different sh shades. But what God is doing tonight, he is, he is, He's working through all of those paint layers, wanting to get to the wood of that frame who you are, taking away everything that does not look like what He has created in us. And that is why God is asking you to do a trade with Him tonight on sexual sin. I want every eye to, every eye to be closed. No one looks around. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up. You can, you can be safe right here. But I do want you to be truthful with God. The one who sees everything. The one who knows everything. I want you to have an honest moment with Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the Father. about the matter of sexual sin. And I want you to make a trade tonight. Not with a traffic cop, but with a loving father that said, I love the world so much. I gave my son for them to win them back. I want you to trade that sexual sin moment and say, God, I trust you more than to keep this in the dark. Not a day longer. I'm going to allow 30 seconds for that to a minute. Have a moment with Jesus. Make the trade now. Say, Lord, I will rather bow my knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords than I bow my knee to sexual sin. I will not submit myself under it anymore. I'm making the trade now. I'm receiving your Father's love in full. I don't need to fall into temptation that way. I have you. You cover me. You complete me. You fill me up. You raise me. You give me my identity. No misconception. No misunderstanding. I am His. And therefore... I can run in the freedom that He gives me. Who was blessed by this word from Ansi tonight? Anyone? That was a great blessing. Let's give Him a round of applause. Come on.